You're listening to Faith Community Church's weekly podcast. We hope this week's message from God is insightful and an inspiration to you. Awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here and to be able to share with you um, and be challenged along with you. Um, last year in youth, we actually did this whole series where we were exploring, um, pictures that we find online, um, and memes that we find online that actually, um, help give a little snippet of what people were thinking about God and the Bible, um, and Christianity. Um, the youth leaders, we were reading Dan Kimmel's book, um, how not to read the Bible. And he used a lot of memes. So it kind of worked together as we did this. And it was really good because as we were looking at these memes, it was helpful to see see um, how the world kind of was understanding God, how the world was understanding the Bible and even Christians. And it also helped us because we were able to kind of slowly go through and understand how do we actually read the Bible? um, How do we not read the Bible as the series was kind of talking about? And we talked about different important topics. It was really, really good. But it was interesting to see how the world gleans so much information, and not the world, but even our students glean so much information and understanding from God, about God and the Bible, not from actually reading the Bible, but from peers, from social media, um, from different people and how they talk. In fact, one student asked this question. I was like, you know, and I don't even remember the context of it. And I was like, well, where did you hear that? And he was like, oh, there's a priest on TikTok. And I was like, excuse me? (laughs) I was like fascinated. So this is how people are consuming it. But I wanted to share a few of them to kind of go through some of the memes and pictures. Unicorns are mentioned nine times in the Bible. Cats are mentioned zero times. And that's all you need to know about the Bible. Right? It's all you need to know, right? The distrust, right? That's what it's trying to play at, the distrust. I love this cat riding the unicorn. Okay. Uh, Could have banished slavery or shellfish. Shellfish. He chose shellfish, right? That's an Old Testament, right? Biblical thing when you look in Leviticus and all these different laws, right? That's an interesting one. You can tell there's some discomfort and view of who God is. Okay, there's another one. This is hard, you guys. This is an image of a child. God hates you. You're going to hell. And if you notice the child's shirt, GodHatesFags.com. This one was really hard for our students when they saw this. They went, wait, that's a kid. Right? That's a kid. Here's another one. This one is interesting. You may not be able to read the words. On the top, Jesus is knocking, let me in. And there's a voice behind the door. Why? So I can save you. And the person says inside, from what? And Jesus says, from what I'm going to do if you don't let me in. <laughs> yup. <laughs> yep. Now, th- these are interesting pictures and memes. This is how people see God. I think that's what I want us to get. This is how people see God. And one study from Barna, it shows that only 3%, hear these, I'm not a numbers person, but I saw this and I was like, oh, only 3% of 16 to 29-year-old people who profess they are non-Christians actually have any favorable views of Christianity. 3%. Uh, Listen to this other study of self-identified non-Christians who are aged 16 to 29 years old. 87% that present-day Christianity is judgmental, 85% hypocritical, 78% said old-fashioned. Don't really know what that means, but that was interesting. 
The most common perception is that present-day Christianity is, this is their big one, anti-homosexual. And this was the kicker for me, because overall, 91% of non-Christians who are considered young in that age bracket, and 80% of young, church-going young Christians, they say the phrase anti-homosexual actually describes Christianity. Like, describes Christianity. If we went in this room and asked, like, how would you describe Christianity? Would we say anti-homosexual? But that's how people are describing Christianity. And for me, this is really heartbreaking and it's really uncomfortable. This is the image that people have of the Bible, of me, of Christianity, and really of God. But it's distorted, right? It's not accurate, right? Now, last week, Andy talked about how so many of us have these misgivings and misconceptions of heaven. Andy actually even shared mine. I listened to the podcast or the video of people giggling, right? Because when I was a kid, sitting in a pew with my parents and hearing everyone talk about how exciting heaven's going to be, it's going to be like this. We're going to be sitting, it's going to be like this church that we're a part of. It's going to be great. And I literally remember having the feeling of, "Ah, I don't, I don't know if I want to go there then, right? Right? We all have these different misgivings and misconceptions. We talked about that last week of heaven. Um, And you might be able to relate to that. But I think these memes, these statistics are showing that people have actually written off not just heaven, but God, because of misgivings and misconceptions of who God is. And my guess is this is why some of us, maybe we're nervous or we haven't spoken up about Jesus at work or with our friends or with our family. We're nervous about what, what, how are we going to be received, right? Maybe we've even had moments where we wanted to invite someone to church or to act to say, can I just pray for you right now? Or even to like invite them over for like to hang out with your friends at game night. But you were afraid of what was going to happen. You were afraid of the tension that might happen because maybe they, the way they've talked about Christians or they've talked about God. But my thing is that I've been thinking about is what's missing? What is the world missing that they don't see who God is? That the world doesn't see who God is. For most of us here, we're here because we've experienced God in some way. We've chosen to believe. We've experienced God in some way where we believe in who he is. We believe we need him, right? That's most of us here where we're like, yeah, we believe in God. Some of us here, you may be curious. There may be people watching online later. Some of us may be here going, I'm not quite sure. I'm kind of a little curious about God. I'm intrigued. I'm not quite sure if I believe, but you're here. So maybe you're checking it out. So what's missing? What is it about God that is so good that we're gathering here? People for centuries have gathered, tried to reorient their lives around God. What's the difference between this God that we just saw that the world is believing and this God? Well, we're in this series that we're trying to wrap up today where we're looking at this beautiful prayer of Jesus. It's a beautiful prayer, a prayer he not only prayed for the disciples that were in the room with him, I think that to me, I've been blown away thinking about that. He didn't just pray for the disciples with him in front of them that he ate with and he washed their feet, but he actually talks about people who are going to come after them who are going to follow him. It's us. Like for me, that was so encouraging. Like I kept thinking like he's praying about me. Like that's so cool. 
cool. Like, that's crazy, right? He's been praying for us. Like, that to me has blown my mind. It's encouraging to know that God, he didn't give up on us. Like, Jesus knew what we were going to face. He knew the state of our world. He knew about all of this. And he didn't give up on us. Instead, he prayed. He prayed for us. And this whole prayer is filled with these deep longings of Jesus that helps us to know, like, what matters to God? What matters to him? And so we're going to go back to John And we're going to look at John chapter 17. Um, Andy already let you know it starts on page 1,539. Um, And we're going to look at this prayer. But what I want to do is we're going to jump at, we're going to start at the beginning. Because the way that this is written, the beginning and the end sort of connect. They're like a bookend. So let's just pray together and then we're going to jump in. God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word and your love. And um, God, I pray that you would help us just to be sensitive to your spirit. I pray that you would speak through me um, this morning and help me just to be calm and not to be nervous and just to be present. And I just ask that your spirit would nudge us this morning, that you would draw us into understanding you more fully in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to start with the first couple of verses, verses 1 through 3, just to kind of hear how Jesus starts this prayer. So after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the one only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Now Jesus started this prayer, and he talked about this, he preached on it, this idea that God desires all of us, the world, to have eternal life by knowing God and knowing that God sent Jesus for us right? And he talked about this beginning. God deeply desires us for to know God, to know him deeply. This picture of love of God that God sent Jesus. It's pretty simple. The picture that God sent Jesus. But now let's go to the end of John 17. We're going to go in verse 25 through 26 and let's listen to what he says. Righteous father, Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Now, we've been listening to this verse every week, and we may be going, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm just repeating these words that kind of sound nice, but what does this say? What is God actually saying here? And I think the first part to recognize, there's this connection about knowing God. And first, Jesus starts out by saying, the world does not know you. The world does not know you. This is the state that we live in, that Jesus understood. They don't know God. We just saw pictures clearly. The world does not know who God is. There is this weird skewed perception of who God is. They don't know. In fact, the God that they are denying is not the God we know. (laughs) That is what they're denying, right? These images, these pictures, this heart of who they believe God is. 
But these are misgivings and misconceptions of God. But let's go down verse. Let's read that. Though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. Now, when you first read this, it really feels like Jesus should have said, I know that sounds ridiculous. Jesus should have said this. But like the natural progression, it seems that Jesus would say is, okay, Father, the world doesn't know you, but look, my disciples, they know you, right? Doesn't that feel like more of a natural? Like, God, they don't know you. The world doesn't know you, but look, my disciples, they know you. But that is not what he says. He says, the world doesn't know you. I know you. And they, my disciples, they know you have sent me. I want you just to sit on that a little bit. They know you have sent me. In other words, how the followers of Jesus are different is they know God sent Jesus. So there's something that we need to sit in that. This means Jesus isn't just this wise teacher that we are emulating. He is the son of God who existed before creation. He is God. We know he was sent. He wasn't just born, but sent because why? We needed a rescuer. He wasn't just born. I think that's a weird thing to sit and think about. He wasn't just born. He wasn't just this person that the world tries to think of. Like he was such a wise teacher, but he actually was sent by God. He was not just born. And this is a huge act of love, a loving God that would come and rescue us, that would send Jesus to rescue us. But there's more. Let's read verse 26. It says, I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And I think Jesus is showing us, I hope we're kind of getting it, that we come to know God when we come to realize, see, and behold that Jesus was sent by God to rescue us. This act of God sending Jesus reveals who God is. I want you to hear this. Jesus isn't all about glorifying himself, right? He was constantly throughout this prayer talking about being glorified for why? For the sake of the Father. This is the weird delight of the Trinity that they love each other deeply and there's this weird thing that God's inviting us into. And it makes our mind go, I don't understand because he's one God, but there's like three persons and how do we make sense of that, right? But Jesus isn't about glorifying himself for the sake of glorifying himself. He is about pointing people to the Father, that they would know him through his selfless, sacrificial love. It's this delight in the Trinity. What a loving and beautiful God that out of his love would come to rescue us. But here's the piece that these words are kind of like, I was like, oh, this is so cool. He does this not because we've earned it or deserved it. Jesus said he was making God known and would continue to make him own known in order that the love the father has for his son may be in us. Even in this prayer, Jesus is revealing the gospel. Do you guys, are you guys picking up on that? Like literally the good news, Jesus is declaring that God doesn't love us as we deserve, that, but that we may be invited into the love that God the father has for Jesus as the son of God. This is good news. We're not loved based on our merit, our worth, how we measure up, what we do or don't do. That's literally the gospel of what God is asking and trying to tell us here. We are loved based on the love that God has for us. Because when he sees us, he's seeing Jesus. That love, he wants that love to be within us. Jesus is calling out to the Father that we would get to be included in that love. 
that the love they have for one another would be in us. We don't earn God's love. And Jesus was stating this in the prayer at the very beginning, that God, God would help people to know who he is and know that Jesus was sent by God. But here at the very end, I don't feel like Jesus is actually asking anymore. I feel like he's claiming it. He's stating it, boldly claiming this is actually what's being done. This is what God is doing. This is actually who God is. Jesus is the embodiment of God, not just because he is God, but because of his very presence, his life on the earth reveals God's nature as being the self-giving love. When we truly embrace that God sent Jesus, we actually see God's love giving of himself. Jesus lived this life that we couldn't, and he died the death that we should have. Remember, this is the deathbed request. So this is this prayer before Jesus goes and does what? He dies on the cross for us, for our sins, that he is so loving, he would do that for us. He doesn't give us what we deserve. And that's what Jesus is all about, right? Before this prayer, what does Jesus do? And they had this supper together, but Jesus also got on his hands and his feet, and he washed the disciples' feet. He took on the posture of a lowly servant, and he washed the feet of the disciples. And then he turned to them and said, I want you to love as I have loved you. I want you to go and do this. And it's in the same posture that Jesus then calls out this prayer on our behalf that we would fully understand why it actually matters what he is doing, how it reveals the glory and the love of the father. You see, this prayer really ends for this call for us to deeply know the love of God by being so keenly aware of the sacrifice of Jesus. In other words, we know God when we actually get the cross. That we actually know God when we get the cross. Now, here's the thing. I think a lot of us sit in here like, yeah, Tara, we get it. This is like the core of Christianity. Like, this is like basics. She's the family life pastor. She works with kids and you. So she has to like do this, you know, this series a lot. And, you know, she talks about this a lot. So that's why we're hearing it again. But here's the thing. I actually don't think we get it. When we get it, it changes every area of our life. We meditate on it, and it permeates our thoughts and our being and our life. And for me personally, I know some of you guys have talked about this before, but I daily struggle to embrace it here. Like, I get it, and I know it, but I daily struggle to embrace it here. I'm a person who is horribly insecure and struggles with not being enough on a daily basis. Like my husband knows, cause he'll be like, are we verbally processing? Do I need to fix anything or what is happening? Right? Cause I'll just be like, bah! um, and I see this most dreadfully bubble up when I get criticized or if someone challenges me, I mean to hear that. When someone criticizes me or challenges me, something wells up in my gut like, oh gosh, I'm not enough. Like I did, I made a mistake. I, I just, no. But if I really got the cross, if I really embraced the meaning of the cross, if I really got it, I don't think I would be so bothered by criticisms or challenges. I don't think it would stir up that feeling of inadequacy or not being enough. If I was truly beholding the cross and seeing God and seeing how he sees me, I wouldn't be so mis- like shaken by my mistakes or sitting in that feeling when there's conflict <laughs> or criticisms. Honestly, there's this other weird dark side of my feeling of inadequacy is that I really want to be enough. 
Like, I really, really want to be enough. Like, I know that God says I, I am enough and I don't have to be enough, but I really, 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 really want to not need a God. And I know it sounds stupid. It sounds crazy because it's like, yes, this is beautiful. And yet there's something inside of me that like, I want to measure up. Like I want to be able to do it on my own. Right. And so I have to sit in this daily tension of like, I'm not enough and that's okay. And I'm grateful that the gospel is there. I'm grateful for what Jesus did on the cross. And I have to daily tell myself the gospel. Like literally I have these little prayer cards that I have to read through and literally remind myself, right? Like, that's what we have to do, right? But literally, I daily need to like hear these words, and I'm so thankful for it. But I sit in this daily tension, and I struggle with it. But why do I, why do I know? Why do I know that that's not the truth? Because Jesus is even praying for it here, for me, for all of us. I believe that Jesus is literally trying to steal my gaze and set it upon the cross. To go away from these things that I'm literally just struggling with. And not truly believing what the cross means for me. You see, at the beginning of the morning, I talked about how the world has misconceptions of God. But I think we do too. If we really believe the gospel and who God is, would we be trying to prove our worth at work and struggling with being like workaholics? Would we be embarrassed of our kids or our grandkids when they weren't measuring up or they were making mistakes? Would we be seeking our identity in clothes, image, house, wealth? I don't know, you fill in the blank. Would we be feeling less than if we weren't married or dating or if we didn't have the like 2.5 kids in the picket fence or whatever thing, I don't even understand what that means. I've never had like a picket fence, but whatever that means. And I'm going to just pause for a second and speak to you as like the family life pastor. And I'm going to try not to cry, but I do. And it's my heart. Um, the Bible does not say that we have to get married or that we have to get kids, have kids, or that that is what it means to be successful or that that is what it means to be happy. And I'm telling you, our kids are hurting because they feel like they need to have a partner, that they're better half. We have students who go out to college, and I was one of them, thinking that I needed someone to make me whole. And so I want us to just, I plead with you (laughs) that we are not a people who make our kids feel like that or make each other feel like that. Jesus never says it's a promise or that we will get it. We have people who can't have kids and it breaks their heart and we make them feel less than. Our kids need to know that success does not look like them finding a mate, being married, having kids. Success looks like Jesus, knowing who Jesus is, knowing him deeply. And we should be so excited when our kids, that's what they're pursuing. And I just, I just plead with you, let's be a people that we, we don't focus on that thing. We need to talk about it. But what is success? It's Jesus. It's knowing the cross and getting the cross. Ugh. So there's many things in our lives that I think we may not be fully embracing who Jesus is and what the cross does for our lives. But I'm just, my, my heart is that the Holy Spirit would just nudge you right now. And so I'm going to ask you this question. Where are you not fully believing 
and embracing the reality of what Jesus did for you on the cross? Where are you not fully believing and embracing the reality of what Jesus did for you on the cross? You see, I think it's pretty evident that we don't get the image, the true image of who God is because we're seeking our identity and all of these other things. Success looks like Jesus, seeing Jesus, getting the cross. And I hate even using the word success, but I think that's a word we often use in our mind, like having it together. I think the world has a lot of misconceptions of God. We saw some of the memes up here. But I think we do too. Some of us are not embracing the cross and what it means in our lives. It's like we're believing. Can we pop up that one of this one? Yeah. I feel like it's like we're believing some version of this. Like we can fill in our own little blanks of like where where we feel like God is not meeting our needs or what he is and who he is. But I feel like we're believing some sort of weird version of this God. But this... What we have hanging here, that is the true image, the true picture of God. Now, I actually worked at Starbucks for a really long time, probably way too long, um, working through school. And we worked with cash so much that it was this weird feeling that sometimes we would get a bill that I could just feel that there was something off. Like it felt weird because we worked with cash so much that I could feel it. But luckily we had these little pens that we could like strike the bill to make sure it changed a weird color. Like you could tell like, okay, this means it's counterfeit or something weird like that. So it was really cool. But I heard once that people who work with counterfeit money, people who like it's their job to identify it and kind of pay attention. The way they learn is by looking at the real thing. They like study it. They know it deeply so that when a counterfeit bill comes across, they can see, oh, this is how it's different. They can look at the different ways that people are kind of manipulating it and um, changing it. Um, And today I, I was thinking about that this week because I was thinking, I really believe God is calling us to gaze at Jesus, to deeply gaze at him, to to see Jesus for who he is so that we truly, truly know the love of father that we gaze at Jesus in the cross so that instead we're not believing in some sort of counterfeit. We're not believing in that. We're not looking at that, but instead we gaze deeply at Jesus when we're struggling with our identity, struggling to believe the gospel and embrace it in our lives. We have to daily reflect on him, reading scripture, reciting a verse, writing it on a card. Stop the stinking thinking thoughts, that narrative that we play in our minds, and claim the truth that Jesus is actually claiming for us here in this passage. So where are you not fully believing and embracing the reality of what Jesus did for you? I think this is a really good question for us to reflect on to continue to like sit in. But as I was sitting in this myself, I had this sense that I also need to own up and we need to own up to the possibility that the world has misconceptions and misgivings of God because of us, because of us as the church. Now, I don't want to shame anyone. That's not what this is about. Please hear me because I know that feeling that we get of the shame. So I don't want that to be what we're sitting with. But, and I get the other part is I also get that there are forces at work that are trying to manipulate and spin stories, right? They're trying to discredit the Bible, discredit us as a church, discredit God, 
But I have this feeling that we as a church, and I believe you guys know what I mean, that Jesus prayed, even in this prayer, against these things for us, right? He prays against the enemy. He prays for unity in the church. And he prays for us to be the physical manifestation of God's presence on this earth. But the truth is we haven't been known for being a people of love. In youth right now, we're actually doing this whole series on Christian sexuality, and it's been really good. It's been really good. And we've been looking at what does it look like to love God with all of who we are, including our sexuality? What does that look like? And it's been challenging and good, and we've been working through God, how God created sex for marriage between one man and one woman, and it's led to lots of conversations about sex, marriage, gender, same-sex attraction, and also being single and celibate. And one thing we've been wrestling with is the tension that we have when the world believes so many different things than what God says. How do those who find themselves with same-sex attraction, how do they live out their love for God? For those who are struggling with gender identity issues, what, how do they live out their love for God? Even with all of that, what does that look like? What are their choices? And I say they, and I want you to hear this, I say they, not just people in the world. They are our friends, our neighbors. They are our students. They are people here in our church They are our kids and youth, the people sitting with and among us. They is not just that. It's here. People who deeply love Jesus and are trying to figure out how do I love God with all of who I am, even if there's things about them that we may go, that's not what God wants for us. Now, in this process, we've been kind of trying to deal with this tension and trying to figure out how do we as followers of Jesus embrace and live out the reality of the cross. And so what do we do? We look towards Jesus, right? And this week we did this little study on Zacchaeus. It was, I love it. Rob was like, why aren't we talking about sexual sin stuff? Why are we talking about Zacchaeus? He was a tax collector, right? Like it's kind of a random story. But this week we talked about Zacchaeus because we wanted to look at how does Jesus interact with people and their sin? And what does that look like to love God? And I love this story because I think it paints this image of how to live out the cross, how to live out the love of Jesus. And so Zacchaeus, he is this hated tax collector. We all know the wee little man who climbs the tree, right? He's this hated tax collector. Everyone in the community doesn't like him. He's stealing their money. He's working for the Romans. No one likes him, right? And yet when Jesus comes to town, everyone wants to see Jesus, including Zacchaeus, who's this tiny little man, supposedly. So he climbs a tree and then Jesus comes in and out of everyone, Jesus points at Zacchaeus, calls him by name and is like, I want to go and I want to hang out at your house. Wants to hang out with him. Jesus doesn't stand there and say, let me point out your sins. Let me hold a sign and tell you of your sin and your shame. He doesn't tell them, you must first change before I hang out with you. You must first do these things before I love you, before I welcome you. That's not what Jesus does. He comes to him and loves him and greets him. And it's in this connection, this relationship, this love in the safety of being with Jesus that he then repents and submits. I don't like, that must be the spirit. Like we're going to do something like Jesus didn't even say anything as far as we know. Zacchaeus experiences the love of Jesus more fully. He sees who God is. 
He sees the love. He experiences the love of God, the love of what the cross means. Because we don't need to earn God's love. We don't have to fix ourselves first to be loved and welcomed by God, and we shouldn't have to for the church either. But sadly, as Christians, the wider church has often failed to live out the good news of the cross. Instead, we're like the people in the crowd. Uh, why is Jesus hanging out with him? Doesn't he know? Like, Jesus knew. What were they thinking, right? Why is Jesus hanging out with him? Why is he going to his house? Why is Jesus loving him like that? Maybe we aren't people holding up a cross, or not a cross, but holding up that picture like that kid was, that kind of breaks your heart. Maybe we're not doing that. Maybe we are. Maybe some here you're like, oh my gosh, I did that. And that's like, you're feeling it. Maybe you've done something else, right? Maybe we're not doing that. First of all, that sign is damaging. It is not helping anyone. It is so unloving. It is completely creating a false image of the cross. Maybe we're not doing that. But where have we missed the mark in loving and welcoming as Jesus did, as Jesus does for us? Where have we helped to paint a picture of the Bible or of God with our actions, our words, our social media posts that have led others to have misgivings or misconceptions of the love of God, of the true picture of God? I'm just going to let that sit for a second. The bottom line, I think, in this passage that we see is that God is calling us to be a people of love. He prayed for us. He prayed for that, that we would be a people of love by believing in the cross, by embracing the cross and living out the cross. Now, I want to pause at believing in the cross just for a second before we wrap up here. Is there may be people here in this room, maybe you're watching online, something has been drawing you to check out church or God. Maybe you've even had misgivings or misconceptions of the church or of God, and you haven't really chosen to believe in God. Maybe we have been that. We have prevented you. Maybe we as the church have hurt you in some way. And I first want to say, I am so sorry if you've been hurt. I'm sorry if there's anything that we have done as the church to teach and speak and do anything other than share the love of God. And if that's the case, I just want to say, don't miss this because of us. We're a poor reflection of this. We're trying, but today don't miss that. Maybe God is actually nudging you and wanting you to see the true image of who he is, that he came for you and loves you. And you don't have to do anything. You don't have to get it together before you come to him. You just get to receive Jesus. And so even now in this moment, you can just quietly say, okay, God, like, I guess I need you. I don't even want to need you maybe, but I need you and help me to see who you are and help me to follow you. That's all you have to do. And I just invite you to do that today. Don't leave. And I would say, if you have that feeling and you're praying that, will you come and talk to us? Like grab Andy, grab me, grab someone else. If you've been hurt by the church and you're like, I just need, I need to like, please come and talk to us because we love you and Jesus loves you. And we don't want you to leave without just receiving that love. So the other thing is embracing the cross. We already talked about this, but some of us, we've already chosen to follow Jesus, but there's still areas in our lives where we haven't fully gotten it. We haven't fully embraced it here. Like I struggle daily, right? So we need to be a people of love by embracing the cross in these areas. Think about your own areas. Where are you struggling? Where are you struggling And know that Jesus is trying to steal your gaze to daily reflect. It has to be daily. I really, really do believe. All those little bubbling thoughts pop up. We have to daily reflect and listen to the cross. And rest in that. 
And then the last part is living out the cross. Jesus calls us not just to believe in his love and embrace it, but actually to live it out for others. And so we need to lean into the Holy Spirit and go, okay, where have I missed it? Open my eyes to see where I'm painting a picture of who, you, of who you're not. Help me to do that. I'm going to invite the band. That's our like little lovely phrase that we say each week. I'm going to invite the band to come up so we're going to continue in a time of worship. Uh, God is calling us to be a people of love. And when we reflect on the cross and see Jesus, it actually changes us. That's why we're here. That's why we come each week. That's why it matters. And so today, I just want to encourage us as we sing and worship to really reflect on the cross and what it actually means in our lives. What misconceptions have you had about God? What picture of God have you been believing in? And what picture of God have you painted for others? Imagine how our lives might be different, you guys, if we actually got it, if we fully believed, embraced, and lived it out. Imagine the impact our church could have, what Andy was talking about, right? The idea of reconciliation. Can you imagine if we lived this out and the Holy Spirit worked in us? But I, wanna, I just want to just give you this word of hope. Jesus knew we would need help. He prayed for it here. He stated, he knew what the state of our world was going to be in. So he prayed for us. So we're not alone. In the final words of this prayer, Jesus says that he would be in us. So there's great comfort in knowing Jesus is in it with us. Let's go ahead and pray. Oh, Father God, we just come before you and thanks and love. I thank you, God, for these words that we can daily just grab a hold of. And so I just pray you would help us. I ask your Holy Spirit to stir in our hearts, to move us, to challenge us, and help us to draw closer to the cross, God. Help us to get it. Help us to be a people of love, God. We just ask for your spirit to move today. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this production of Faith Community Church in Santa Cruz, California. To visit our complete archive of sermons, to learn more about FCC, or to view our live streaming services, please visit us online at santacruzfaith.org.